Hello, everybody. It's so awesome to be here with you. Because this is not a speech, I'm not going to start with all the many, many, many thank yous that I owe you. I'm just going to get straight into it. But thank you. Thank you. Actually, I am. You guys rocked our world. I believe you gave us our daughter back because you fought with us. And I want to say thank you so much. I owe you so much. Thank you for praying with us. What I want to speak about on tonight is can we encounter the Jesus of the Bible today? Because we live in a very broken and a very fallen world. And there is a lot of pain around us. And I see in the Bible that Jesus was able to just step in and bring alignment. That while we're living in this this universe that is enduring agony, that is enduring the futility of the consequence of human sin, when Jesus steps into those situations, he brings alignment with heaven. And I need to know whether Jesus is able to do that still today. Is Jesus alive? Is he real? Is he still a miracle-working God? Because we need him in this broken world. The last time I was supposed to stand up here and preach was on Christmas Eve. And many of you know that on Christmas Eve, we experienced some brokenness of our own. We were, Kiara and I were on the way to the service, um, and just outside, turning into the parking, as I crossed across the traffic, a motorbike hit our car and smashed into Kiara's head. I didn't realize at first uh, what we were dealing with, what level of brokenness, all the windows had smashed, the glass was broken, but... I turned to Kiara to speak to her to say, wow, what just happened? Are you okay? Um, and she fell onto my lap, and I realized that she was not properly conscious. Um, she was bleeding from her head. Somebody passed me a towel through the window and told me to put pressure on her wound. But as I put pressure on, I could feel that it wasn't whole, that there was a brokenness to it, that there was a softness to it that wasn't right, and so I was careful not to put too much pressure on it. Um, the paramedics arrived, and I stepped out of the car and shook the glass out of my shoes and still said, I'm okay to preach. <laughs> Rich can, can go with Kiara. I'm, she'll be fine, obviously. She'll be fine. She's had a bump to the head, uh, but let's carry on. It's going to be okay. Obviously, that was a silly idea, and they ushered me into the ambulance with Kiara, and I went off with her. We were then in the emergency room, and 12 people gathered around her. Um, I later discovered that the paramedic that dealt with her had to deal with post-traumatic stress himself. The doctor that dealt with her in the emergency room also had to deal with post-traumatic stress. They could see the brokenness, but we were not yet aware of the extent of the situation. Our good friend that is part of this congregation, he is a specialist physician, Johan came and met us at the emergency room so that he was able to step in if there were things that he could do that maybe a, a, a normal GP wasn't able to do. Um, and he helped with a few things with her. And then he came and stood with us and he put his arms around us and he started to pray, life and not death, life and not death, life and not death. And for the first time, I was aware of the extent of our brokenness. And this wasn't something that we were going to fix on our own. I know that I'm not the only person in this room that have, has, has experienced extreme brokenness. 
And maybe some of you, like me, are a little bit slow to realize that you can't fix it yourself. Maybe some of you are already at the position where you know that you need help. Either way, we need to know, is Jesus alive? Is he real? And does he still do miracles? Does he still answer prayer? And can I still encounter him? Like the encounters that we've been reading about, like the encounters that we hear about, can I still encounter him? Because I sure as heck need to. When I first got to know Jesus, um, I find things that poetry bring, make sense of things that can't make sense with ordinary words. Somehow ordinary words are too restrictive, but poetry enables us to understand things that are beyond our grasp, beyond perhaps the left-hand side of our brain or something. I'm not sure. But the first time that I understood who Jesus was and how I could encounter him was reading a poem that's recorded for us in the Bible. Uh, John, one of Jesus' best friends, records this poem that helps us to understand who Jesus is and, and how he relates to God. And I wanted to read it to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And for the first time I understood Jesus Christ is the very living expression of God. He is the creative power of God. He is God himself because as I speak, as my words come to you, it's me. I'm giving you myself. As you receive my words, I hope you're receiving me. That's what I'm giving you. And as God gives us Jesus, he's giving us his, the living expression of who he is with flesh on. But that living word remains with us today. Jesus has said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. My spirit remains with you, and I remain with you in the living word. Jesus is still available. The word of God, made alive by the spirit of God, is still Jesus with us. The living expression, the very creative power of God is still with us in his word. That is how I was introduced, how I became aware, how I could understand a little bit intellectually, but more spiritually who Jesus was so that I could still encounter him today. So we were standing in the emergency room. I, I'm, I'm not even going to try and use Kiara as some illustrations and try not to. I'm just going to tell my testimony because this is my story right now. This is what I have to offer right now. Um, so, so this is my story it is the story, as opposed to one or two sermon illustrations, so I hope that's okay. We were standing in the emergency room, and um, <clears throat> the neurosurgeon had been called. He had assessed the situation, and he came to explain to us what was going on. Kiara had, in the accident, about a palm-sized piece of her skull on the front left had been pushed into her brain about a third of the way in um, and shattered, and he explained that he needed to take her into surgery to remove some of the 
bone fragments and to try and recover the part of the skull that could still be repaired so that he could repair that um, and try and place it back. He explained to us that the risks were potential death, maybe 10 or 20% chance, but also uh, loss of speech, loss of the right-hand side of her body, uh, the usage of the right-hand side of her body, uh, higher-level reasoning. Um, but they were all risks, and we just still felt like it was going to be okay. It, it had to be okay. There wasn't another option. And um, so we signed off the papers. He went in. We, we went home, and uh, we needed to... The surgery was going to be four or five hours. He said, don't be worried if it's going to be a bit longer than that. Uh, it was Christmas Eve, and as a pastor's family, we do presents on Christmas Eve because Christmas morning is crazy for us. So we wanted to go home to explain to our children what was going on. We hadn't spoken to them yet, uh, what had happened. And so we went home, we, we put them to bed, and then we waited for the call. And the call came at about half past 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Richard went back to the hospital. I stayed at home to look after the kids. And for the first time, I found myself alone since the accident. And I needed an encounter with Jesus very badly. So I took my Bible and I went to sit on my bath mat, which might sound unusual, but I just really find that I, 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 I can interact with God better when I'm on the floor. I don't know why I feel like it's a good position for me to be when I want to talk to God. And that is the most comfortable carpets in our room. And plus it's new and fluffy because we we're trying to redo our bathroom just before Christmas. Um, and in our redoing of the bathroom, we cut off our water by mistake. So our bathroom doesn't actually work at the moment. So it's like brand new and clean and never been used before. So it's just a really good place to go and sit. So there I was sitting on the bath mat with my Bible and I need an encounter with Jesus. So I'm just going to explain to you how I do that. Everybody is different. I am not one of those guys who says, Jesus, where are you going to speak to me from? And he says, Isaiah 37. And I open it and it always says something really weird that I just know does not at all sound like what he is trying to say to me right now. So that is not my thing. I rather have a bit of a knowledge of the Bible. And so I think, well, where is he likely to speak to me from at this time? In this moment, it was from Psalms. So I thought that would be a place where I could get encouragement and instruction and, and would it be helpful to process my feelings. So I started to page through Psalms, looking for words that started to sound like Jesus. You know, when Richard walks into a room, my husband, it can be a room full of voices, but his voice my ear picks it up, and I know he's there. I know it's him speaking. And I say, oh, are you home? Are you here? Have you arrived? It's like that. So I'm paging through, and I'm waiting for words that it, the tone, the words, it sounds like Jesus talking to me. So that happened to me. What caught my attention were the words, keep trusting in the Lord. Fix your heart on the promises of God, and you'll be secure. So I thought, well, yes, that's exactly, I want to keep trusting in you, God. I want to fix my, I need a promise. I want to fix my heart on your promises. What is your promise? I need to know what your promises are for this moment. So I want to read with you what I was reading then. From Psalm 37. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you'll be secure, feasting on his faithfulness. Yes, God, I will do that. I want to fix my heart on your promises. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life. 
God, the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and he will provide for you what you desire the most. God, I put you back on the throne. You are my utmost delight. Give God the right to direct your life, and as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. He will appear as your righteousness, as sure as the dawning of a new day. He will manifest as your justice, as sure and strong as the noonday sun. Quiet your heart in his presence and pray. Keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you. And I felt like God say, this is your promise. You have permission to keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for me. You have permission. I promise you that if you keep hope alive, I will come through for you. That was your promise. It's a now word. God, Jesus is a living now word. I needed a word that was for today. I I can't have Jesus dead and dusty, frozen in time, a storybook, something that is forgotten in an old Bible. I can't have that. I can't have somebody else's Jesus. I can't have a story about Jesus. I need Jesus. I need to know that he's alive and I need a relevant word. I need him to speak to me into my situation, living next to me as if he was my best friend and he had something to say to me, not a lesser of something that he did say to somebody else at one day, once upon a time. Jesus says to me today, keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you. Fix your heart on that promise. And so I do that. But you see, this Bible, it's, we speak of it as a sword. Mine is pink, which is not the best color for a sword. And it is also a little bit scrumpled, which is some, part of it is because I read my Bible a lot, but part of it is because I keep shoving it in the, in the side pocket of the hospital chair and it kept getting scrumpled on the Sudoku book. So it's looking a little bit worse for wear, which is not ideal because it's actually quite new. But in any case, this is our sword. I don't know if you know about the legend of King Arthur, but his sword was Excalibur. You remember that sword? He had that rock, and he was the only one who could pull it out, and that was why he was the king? You guys, you, you're educated. You're with me. You've got, you know about Excalibur. But this sword had, like, magic powers because when he wielded this sword, every stroke drew blood, and nobody could harm him. So this was like a magical sword. But the trouble is that he had to use it right, and he couldn't let it fall into the wrong hands because then it could cause damage. You see, when the power is in the sword, when the sword is magical, if you'll excuse my use of that word, when the sword has the power, you need to make sure you're wielding it correctly. You cannot manipulate the sword. It's not in me. It's choosing what word. I need a, I need a word. I need a word. I'm going to choose this. This is my word for today. I saw it on a meme. It's very special. I'm going to make it my, my cover of my phone, and I'm going to keep it. This is my meme. This is my mantra. I, I, I needed more than that. I needed a sword that had real power. But if it had real power, then I couldn't manipulate it. And right in the middle, between fix your heart on the promises of God and keep hope alive, were the words, make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and he will provide for you what you desire the most. Right then, that meant putting God above Kiara. It meant choosing to say, God, you are the utmost delight and pleasure of my life. What I desire more than anything else is your will, is your glory, is your name to be lifted up. That is what I desire more than anything else. But you've told me that if I desire that, I'm allowed to keep hope alive. And I'm allowed to long for you to come through for me. And I'm allowed to fix my heart on those promises. 
It's the whole sword, not manipulated, not as powerful as a, as a meme, way more than that when you take the whole of it. Jesus met me in my first encounter with him on the 24th as Kiara was in her first surgery, and he was alive, and he was relevant, and that word has proven to be true because it is standing the test of time. It is standing the test of time. The word had life of its own. It, it traveled further than I could take it. It traveled into places that I couldn't yet go. When I lost hope, the word did not lose hope. And the word did not lose life when I dropped to the floor some days. It had life of its own. Keep hope alive. It was a now word. Jesus, when I encountered him, was alive. <clears throat> we were told that Kiara was going to be kept asleep for a few days after her surgery so that her brain could rest. Um, so on Christmas morning, we decided that I was going to go to the hospital and just sit with Kiara as she slept, and Richard was going to bring the children to church to be with family on Christmas, and also as our family was going through such a difficult time, that that was the right place to be. So we were all dressed in, <clears throat> we were all dressed and ready to go, and um, thanks, that would be awesome, I'd love that. Poured out like a drink offering, eh? We were all dressed and ready to go when Richard received a phone call. I heard him on the phone, and then I heard my oldest son screaming for me, come on, quickly come. And I walked through, and I saw Richard had dropped to the floor with the phone in his hand, and he was sobbing. And I fell to my knees in front of him, and I said to him, please tell me, please tell me. I can't wait. Please tell me what happened. And he explained that the doctor had phoned for permission, that Kiara had not responded well to the surgery, that what had been a localized injury uh, was now a global injury. What had happened is as the, the force that hit the one side of her brain, had, the force had transferred through her brain, knocked onto the other side, transferred back again, and her entire brain was now injured. It wasn't, it wasn't just hemorrhaging in the brain. The whole brain tissue was injured. And um, the brain was swelling uncontrollably, and the doctor wanted permission to rush her into surgery to remove half of her skull and place it into her abdomen to make room for the swelling so that she uh, could still receive blood into her brain. Because obviously if, if it's too swollen, fresh blood can't circulate into your brain and you can't get oxygen, so you, you die of oxygen starvation. So uh, he explained the risks very quickly over the phone. He said, there's now 80 to 90% chance of death. Um, I can't remember what the rest of the risks were. <laughs> what does it matter? Right, so... Richard gave us permission, and Kiara went in for another few hours of surgery. We obviously rushed up to the hospital to wait outside. The surgery went well. She came out of the surgery, and um, around lunchtime, about mid-afternoon, the doctor contacted us again to say, it hasn't worked. 
It's not, it's not helping. Her brain is continuing to swell. It's now more than double uh, the pressure that a brain can handle to still receive oxygen. He wants to take her in for another CAT scan to see if there's some... He's hoping he's missed something. He's hoping there's a bleed somewhere that he can drain um, because there's now nothing more that he can do. So he took her in for another CAT scan. There wasn't anything that he'd missed, so there was nothing more that he can do. Um, that was Christmas afternoon. During the night of Christmas night, her heart started failing. It was no longer able to regulate her blood pressure. Um, she dropped down into a form of coma, which would, it's the lowest form of coma you get. What they do when you're in a coma is to test how much brain function you have. They inflict pain on you to see how you respond to the pain. And um, there's levels of, you know, sensible response to where the pain is, uh, a, a response that is still sensible, but it's not localized to where the pain is, um, to a response that shows that you have got no function in your brain, that your brain is not controlling your body at all. And that was the level of coma that she was in. Um, yeah, the doctor said on Boxing Day morning, he said, there's now the highest probability of the very worst outcome. So we went up to the hospital and we took our boys in to say goodbye and our have a daughter and say goodbye. We, we had been keeping people out uh, just from infection. We now let in everybody that needed to say goodbye. Mm. Um, it hits you in waves, you know? Trauma and, and emotion and pain. It, you, you, can't, you can't process it all the time. So it, it, it hits you in waves. And um, there was a moment where... Somebody had arrived at the hospital just to pay their respects, and I got up to greet them, and I was busy talking to them, and it just hit me again. And I just said, I'm going to be sick. And I ran to the bathroom in the hospital, and I went into one of the cubicles, and I locked the toilet door, and I just dropped to the floor. I started to hyperventilate, and I was falling, and I was drowning, and I didn't know... Where the, where the bottom was anymore. I didn't know where the floor was anymore. And I just started to say, fix your heart. Fix your heart. <clears throat> fix your heart. Fix your heart on the promises of God. Fix your heart on the promises of God. Fix your heart on the promises of God. Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. Fix your heart on the promises of God. Make God your utmost delight. Make God your utmost delight. Make God your utmost delight. Fix your heart on the promises of God. And my feet found the floor again. I found rock bottom again. I encountered Jesus again. And Jesus was as solid as rock. I could hear voices outside of people that loved me that were begging to come inside. <laughs> Let us in. We want to hold you. We want to hug you. Don't do this alone. We want to love you. And it was people that did love me. It was the best people. It was my, my mom and my mom-in-law and my best friend. And they're great. But no offense, but they were not real enough. In that moment, I could not have somebody 
whose words were here for you weren't strong enough to mean we will never leave you and we will never forsake you. We are rock bottom and we have the power of life in our words. I needed more real than flesh. And I found Jesus there again. Jesus, you may not be able to see him today, but let me tell you, he is more real than what you see. He is more solid than what you see. When the waves are crashing over you, you cannot stand on sand that changes. And as much as I love those women, they are temporary. Jesus is eternal and he is rock solid. His words were fix your heart on the promises of God. Keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you. Quiet your heart in his presence and pray. I encountered Jesus and Jesus was alive. He was relevant to today. He had a now word for me that had life in it. And he was rock solid. He was as real as anything I've ever encountered. My third encounter with Jesus in those first few days was sitting beside Kiara in ICU. ICU is horrible, by the way. Very horrible place. It's so noisy. It's just... And when I say noisy, I'm not talking about the beeps and the machines and the voices. I'm talking about the cries of death and the parents debating whether or not to send their kid into surgery or to wait for it to die. I'm talking about the morning. It is a horrible place to be. I'm not looking forward to going back there in a few weeks' time. Sitting in ICU and hearing the roar of death very loudly. And it's roaring over my daughter, the child that made me a mother. And I'm in so much agony. And I'm saying to God, God, how can you bear it? You know, you know what it's like to watch your child suffer. You've experienced this agony. You know what I'm feeling. I get that. I, I take comfort in that. But then you're feeling it again watching me. I'm also your child. How can you bear to watch me in agony? How can you bear to watch me suffer? Show me something, God. Encounter me again, Jesus. And he encountered me in the book of Romans. And it is a teaching in itself, and I can't wait to take you through it. And I'm so grateful that I get to teach in this church. And I will take you through it one day. But today I just want to tell you that Jesus opened my eyes As I looked at Kiara, and it was a mess, the today of it was a mess, he opened my eyes to the eternal. He helped me to see through the mess into eternity, and it was something absolutely beautiful. I was trying to think how to explain it to you, and some of you may have heard of 3D posters, but I was trying to explain this to you my daughter and anybody under 25, and I realized that they are so two decades ago. So I'm going to try and explain to you what a 3D poster is, okay? So a 3D poster, can we put up the picture? 
this is what they, they're nothing like the movies, okay? It's not like the picture, but it's just a little bit out of focus because the red and the green are being sent off at d- different milliseconds. It's not like that. It's like a complete, you cannot see any picture when you look at it. It is just a blurry mess of colors. But believe it or not, you probably can't do it while it's on the screen, but look it up at home. Believe it or not, if you look through this picture, <laughs> something starts to emerge. So you can turn it off again. Thank you. So I want you to picture a poster here, okay? We would have these posters up in our bedrooms because they were seriously cool, okay? Paul says to me, they were not cool. I used to see them in my grand's new magazines when I visited her. <laughs> I was in the U magazine. They're very cool. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> we have just upped the U magazine's standards. <laughs> so picture a poster, right? And that looks like nothing. And what you have to do is you have to try and put your eyes right through the poster. And you have to try and focus on something that is like over here, right far away. And as you focus there, you look through the poster and it starts to become a 3D image. It start, something starts to emerge, and you realize that there's actually a picture there. And sometimes the picture is typically of the Eiffel Tower. That was quite a common one. And, but the Eiffel Tower is normally like over here. So your focal point is over just past the Eiffel Tower, but the Eiffel Tower is still in the far distance. So when you're looking at that one, it's actually quite easy to enjoy it and to look at all the details because it's it's also in the distance. So your eyes can manage to cope with looking at that picture and making sense of it without losing the fact that you're looking at the focal points. At other times, the picture was something really close, like a face, and it was sort of just behind the poster. And the trouble was you tried to look into the distance, but every time the picture started to emerge, your eyes wanted to come and look at the picture. But when you looked at the picture, uh, then you weren't focused in the right place anymore and you couldn't actually see what was going on at all. So, if you are following my analogy, what it was like for me is, as I started to look in the far distant future, the picture of the mess that looks like absolutely nothing sensible, like I could not look and say, oh, brilliant, this is what you're doing, God. It makes total sense. It did not look like that to me at all. It looked like it should not happen. It should not be my reality. This is, this is not what Jesus wants for me. And it is not what Jesus wants for my daughter. But when I started to look in the far distant reality, a far distant focal point, the reality starts to come into picture. Now, when Kiara's healing is in the far distant future, when it is in heaven, I can see it clearly. It's actually more easy for me to focus on it because I can understand that. I can understand that when I get to heaven, My daughter will be able to dance. She will have all her intelligent faculties about her. She will have perfect healing. I I can see that picture. I can make sense of it. I can focus on it and focus on eternity at the same time. When I start to think of Kiara's healing now, it's really hard to keep the whole thing in view. Now, we have experienced ridiculous healing because from that moment, we've, we've rocked the doctor's world. He's like our best mate. He phones us every day to say, how's Kiara going? He, 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 he is astounded. The medical world is astounded. Kiara woke up. Kiara woke up. 
She woke up and she remembers every day that I've quizzed her about. Do I say to her, do you remember that lake that we went to once in Italy? And she says, Lake Como? Yes, wasn't it lovely? I say to her, do you remember when we went shopping for Christmas, what you got for Jay? That pen knife. We might, I said, where did you get it from? He says, she says, from the Midlands. You know that little shop? She remembers everything. It is a miracle. She can talk. Her speech is beautiful. She writes with her right hand. She's not supposed to use the right side of her body. She points her toes. She stands up. She wants to do pirouettes, but I remind her that she does not have a skull. So it is not a good idea right now to do pirouettes. Can she just settle down? And then she says, my bone is starting to bother me here on my hip. I'm like, yes, it does that when you've done a whole bunch of jumps. Can you keep still? She is, she is a walking miracle, but she's also not complete. And I want to look at this walking miracle, and I want to put all my focus on here, but when I do it, I feel, I feel so upset that she still has to go back in for surgery. She's not exactly the same. I miss her so badly. She's such a capable young girl. She's my right hand, and I miss her so badly, and she's so needy, and she's so little, and she's got so much that she still doesn't remember. She asked me this morning, how do I make, how do I boil an egg? We have eggs every day for lunch, every day. She knows how to boil an egg. It's so hard when she tries to express herself and she can't find the words. It is so hard when I try and look at the picture that's just behind the poster. But it's a miracle. It's beautiful. But I need to keep my eyes focused on the correct focal point. I have to keep my eyes focused on eternity. And this is what God started to show me in that moment before she woke up, while death was still roaring over her. We speak of Jesus, one of his titles is the Lion of Judah. And we speak about him as the Lion of Judah because he was from the tribe of Judah. That was his clan. But Lion, uh, sort of like a million times more qualified than Richard the Lionhearted, just strong and brave and able to roar and able to bring power. So that's, that is one of the names that we give him. And as death was roaring over Kiara, I knew that the Lion of Judah was roaring over my shoulders. And as we stood in that moment... And I had to decide whether to panic, whether to lose my head, whether to stand my ground. I believe that the victory was won in that moment. As the Lion of Judah roared, and I stood my ground, and Richard stood his ground, and we believed in God that he would win, that he would bring victory into the situation. Just one of the scriptures that I'm going to read you from Romans which helps to, understand, helps to explain this, is Romans 8, verses 18. I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure, is busy enduring the empty futility resulting from the consequence of human sin. A broken world experiencing futility. 
But now, with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation, it's Christians too. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. For this is the hope of our salvation. But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something we already have? So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. I felt like on that first night when God said, keep hope alive, it was like I was given a little seedling of hope in a handful of manure. And you're welcome to substitute that word for whichever one of your choice. (laughs) Handful of manure, but a seedling of hope. It reminds me of when we had Kiara, we were children ourselves. Just picture this. I don't know why every newborn shoot in those days, the baby had to be naked. So one week old little miniature newborn baby, 25-year-old Richard, holding this cute little baby for the photo, and she poos through his fingers. (laughs) And he looks at me and he says, did you see that? I said, yes, love, I'm sorry. He says, no, did you see I didn't drop her? (laughs) So proud of himself. Yes, of course you didn't drop her. I can't even even consider the fact that you would have dropped her. (laughs) A seedling of hope. Don't drop it. (laughs) But it's in a handful of manure. But this day, as God started to show me eternity, he showed me where to plant the seedling. He showed me that if I could take that seedling of hope all the way to the focal point of eternity and plant it there, Nothing could get at it. It was then planted in a place where there are no weeds. There are no locusts that can eat it. There are no people that can cut it down. When hope is planted in eternity, it remains alive. That is where we need to plant hope. We have, I hope, I hope that you have been given hope over the last six weeks. I really hope that you have been given hope over the last six weeks. But for many of you, it is still in a handful of manure, and there is a good risk of you dropping it, or of somebody knocking it out of your hand, or of the locust eating it. Hope deferred makes the heart terribly sick. We need to plant hope where it belongs, in eternity. Then, as we do that, we start to get alignment, we start to get a picture. We start to see what we're supposed to see. And what's happening on this earth starts to line up. Kiara woke up. The miracles started to come into place. I believe everywhere Jesus walked, he brought heaven to earth. He brought that eternity into today. 
God wants to do that in a much bigger way here in Anthem and here in Durban and across the, the earth. He wants to do that. That is what it looks like. That is what we're supposed to be fighting for. But we can't just be looking at the picture over here when we're fighting for it. We have to look over there. We have to plant hope there. And then we have to trust for it to come here. And sometimes the picture is over there. But more often than not, when Jesus is around, the picture is right here. It looks like today's healing. It looks like Kiara being restored 100%. It looks like her being, being completely herself again, being brilliantly intelligent, being smarter than anybody that I know. That's what it looks like. It looks like your healing. It looks like reconciliation. It looks like redemption. It looks like your relationships and your life coming into order today. Most of the time. When our hope is planted in the right place. I wanted to read you a little excerpt from what I wrote to Kiara. Then on the 26th of December on Boxing Day. Kiara, my everything, I've loved you with an everlasting love. You are beautiful in every way. There's been an accident. You were hit in the head. My darling, I'm so sorry. I always used to think it would be such a waste to lose a child all the time and effort to pour things into them wasted. Unrealized potential. But I don't feel that way now. Nothing about your 13 years has been a waste. Not a day. You are brilliant in every way, and every moment we spend sharpening that brilliance has glorified God. You have blessed me every day of your life. You have brought blessing and shown the glory of God every day to everyone who knows you. My biggest fear is that you would not be able to dance again. It would be so painful to watch you experience that pain. But God says, don't say Kiara's no for her. He knows what you can handle. He has asked me to keep hope alive. I didn't know what to hope for that I could be sure of. But now I know. I can be 100% sure that the outcome to this ordeal is God's plan. Nothing is being stolen You are completely covered and protected by prayer. And the outcome is being determined by a kind, merciful, and loving God. My hope is in that, and it is sure. My hope is in that, and it is sure. What I want to offer you tonight is the knowledge that if you want to encounter Jesus today in your brokenness, he is alive. He is relevant and he can meet you today. He can stand the test of the waves that come crashing at you. He is rock solid ground. And I want to give you the courage to plant hope where it belongs because we want to hold it here. We want to hold it just behind the poster. We want it today. But when we plant it there, most times, when heaven and earth align, it's current. Most of the time, when heaven and earth align, it's current healing, current fixing of your brokenness. 
And that is what we're going to trust for, and that is what we're going to pray for tonight. We are going to go into a time of ministry, and we are going to pray and we're going to trust that God would open your eyes to the eternal, that he would heal your blindness to the eternal as he healed my blindness to the eternal. As I was praying for someone this morning, I prayed, God, give her 100-100 vision, not 20-20 vision. Because, you know, when you've got 20-20 vision, you've also got 15-15 vision, right? If you can see 20 meters correctly from 20 meters away, you can also see 15 meters correctly from 15 meters away. So we're going to pray for 100-100 vision tonight. And by 100-100 vision, I mean infinity-infinity vision. We're going to pray for infinity-infinity vision. Because when that comes into a line, we will see correctly today. And things will start to click into place. And for most of you, I trust that that is going to be a today healing, a today alignment that looks like heaven on earth today, because that is what we trust, that is what we pray for, and that is what this living word tells us that we're allowed to hope for.